Welcome, Dr. Bill Senyard here with another Gospel Rant, the Shame Meter 2020. We're looking at the amazing movie 1917. Uh, I would call the blog any other time, 1917, PTSD and shame. So we're looking at some of the Oscar-nominated Best Picture films to determine on a scale of 0 to 10 just how much shame and loneliness are evident uh, to the core or the plot of the characters, uh, the whole theme of the movie. And our premise is, is that there's such a social stigma to shame and loneliness that even though it's all around us, we're immersed in both of them, we still can't talk about them or name them. So here's the, here's the plan. If we can point them out in films that we see and, and resonate with, maybe we can begin to name them in our own lives. Shame and loneliness have become four-letter words, if you know what I mean. So we've already looked at the Joker, and we said that's a 9.9. How about the hit film, 1917? Director Sam Mendes. Uh, look, 1917 was for many of us. And I, Look, I, I, I was so surprised. I thought it was the hands-down winner for the Best Picture Oscar and Best Director. But things didn't turn out that way. But believe me, that in no way diminishes this film's success. In fact, it could be argued that this it was the film's success in portraying the reality of PTSD and its shame and loneliness with all the societal stigma that made film viewers feel so uncomfortable with the movie, so awkward, particularly at the ending. Very confusing. I've talked to people, and and the ending, uh, people have described it as unsatisfying, unlikely, missing something. But I'm going to suggest that it's got a PTSD ending. All right. So from one point of view, 1917 is a heroic war film with real characters, young men being called upon to do superhuman mission. The two British officers were called to go through the enemy lines to save hundreds of lives, including one of their brothers, and they had almost no chance of success. But in a real sense, even though they saved others, they lost their own lives, one actually and one uh, substantively. So fast forward to the last scene. Spoiler alert. If you haven't seen the movie, uh, you might want to shut it off now and go watch the movie. It's worth it. And watch it on the big screen, by the way. One of the soldiers was tragically killed early in the mission. Uh, You know, it's a Game of Thronesian kind of move by Mendez. Then the, the lone survivor who goes on his own to accomplish the mission saved the brother of his partner, though others lost their lives. And then, and then after... The victory should be celebration. There wasn't celebration. It was just tragic, emotional wandering. Uh, The soldier staggers through the last scene silently in a daze or in shock. He ends up by himself, isolated, alone, sitting at a base of a tree, looking away from the carnage of World War I. And clearly an artistic contrast to a similar scene at the beginning of the film where he and his buddy were having fun and longing to be home, be back in normal family relationships, everything back to the way it was. Well, in the 24 hours portrayed in the film, the lead actor has been changed. That normality no longer seems possible. He is emotionally scarred. And we refer this to, we refer to this as PTSD or severe PTSD in this case. He longs for isolation. 
He's stuck with a new brain pain that stigmatizes him, that makes him want to isolate and frankly, just shut down. Loneliness has exploded in his brain. So Mendez's goal using uh, uh, Mendez's immersion film technique is to make all the viewers experience just a little bit of what battlefield PTSD could feel like. And there's just no way anybody's going to like it. So here's what Mendez says. Quote, I wanted the audience to experience those two hours exactly as the characters do. I wanted them to feel every second passing, take every step of the journey with the characters, and feel the physical difficulty of the journey. The challenge was then we had to make everything join up. It's one long set. And, of course, when the set is landscaped, farmhouses, towns at night, canals, trenches, waters, you have to measure everything. We didn't build a trench until we knew exactly the scene we were trying to build for it. We built over miles of trenches, and we even had to measure the river that he gets into. So it wasn't only the physical difficulty, but also the emotional difficulty and breakdown of the characters. It, it, was, it was brilliant. For many years, uh, battlefield trauma, which is what this was all about, has been the topic of discuss, discussion due to the lasting impact it has had on soldiers, male and female, returning from the war. It's... Just troubling as part of the human condition is how we're made that we react troubling, uh, we react to troubling or or tragic incidents, and over time there's been a shift in how we understand that. Uh, statistics are frightening. One in five returning veterans suffer from t- PTSD, and uh, the number could be as high as one as three. So numbers four hundred and forty to seven hundred seventy thousand service people with PTSD. That's epidemic. There's uh, 3,400 suicides by active duty personnel, one suicide every 36 hours. One-third of military spouses report, this is, this is one of the, co- the results, depression, anxiety, mental health disorders, this high rate of divorce, homelessness, substance abuse, family issues, underemployment or unemployment, and, and of course, classic loneliness and isolation. Uh, We now call it PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder. In the 17th century, it was called nostalgia. In Napoleon's army in the early 18th century, it was uh, defined by symptoms which included heightened excitement, imagination, a period of fever, gastrointestinal issues, frustration, depression. In our civil war, we called it stress in the early 20th century, like World War One, it was called battle shock or shell shock. In 1980, uh, it became a legitimate medical condition in the DSM-3 and labeled post-traumatic stress disorder. Uh, we now know that PTSD is not the only cause. It's broader. Uh, PTSD can develop after, honestly, any stressful or frightening or distressing event. Uh, Some types of events that could cause it might be terrorist acts, uh, serious accidents, automobile accidents, sexual assaults, violent assaults, pedestrian collisions. Um, There's so much. 30% of the people, according to experts who experience severe trauma, develop classic PTSD uh, symptoms. And we're not sure why it's 30%, uh, why some do and some don't. It's linked uh, PTSD is linked with dissociation, disconnection from your loved one or normal life. And like the main character in 1917, depression, 
like the main character in 1917, anger, rage, anxiety, paranoia, profound joylessness, meaning the inability to feel pleasure, like the main character in 1917, the celebrations missing, panic, the desire to avoid bright lights or crowds, again like the main character in 1917, the desire to isolate, check, flashbacks, night terrors, the need for medication to numb the emotions and pain, a powerful feeling of being threatened or on guard, shame and loneliness, and and when we we talk of loneliness, and I'm talking about I need a dog loneliness or I need more friends, it's a pain felt in our brain, in the DACC part of our brain, that there's something about our body that says, I got to deal with that pain. I'm going to focus on that until it's done. So there's increasing evidence that experience of shame is associated with PTSD, uh, particularly, and by the way, loneliness, it's wicked stepsister. So let me tell you the difference again, just so we're all on the same page. Guilt occurs when you, you evaluate your behavior or, or action as negative, as so I did something wrong. Uh, shame is an emotion where you actually evaluate or judge yourself in a negative light. So there's something worthless or wrong or weak or bad or, or useless about me in contrast to others. So guilt is actually pretty good. It can motivate you to make amends or apologize, correct. Shame, oh my gosh, it's almost never useful. It's destructive. It's in my midbrain. And with shame, you and I may be more likely to justify or engage in self-punishment, right? I deserve this. Deliberate self-harm, right? Suicide ideation. We may isolate ourselves from others because we feel like we deserve that. We don't deserve to be friends. We can't be trusted. And there's such a stigma to shame. Um, there's This is going to do little to alleviate shame in the long term. Uh, and justify or intensify shame. Studies have consistently found this association between shame and PTSD. Uh, guilt and shame have always been understood to be core features of moral injury, uh, which is prevalent among veterans, uh, combat veterans. It's not surprising, and we see this in 1917, a call for behaviors that may not be in line with your typical values, your own expectations of yourself, uh, that you had out before you went to war, such as witnessing uh, atrocities or killing or participating in atrocities or killing or not stopping the uh, atrocities or killing civilians or other people. Another common source of guilt and shame um, could be one's reaction or lack of reaction. For example, veterans who have shared that they felt nothing uh, in the moment they killed somebody, could feel PTSD and guilt and shame and tend towards loneliness. So such PTSD, guilt, and shame, they're not limited to the battlefield. Survivors of partners of violence may feel guilty for having stayed in the relationship and exposing others to the abuser. A driver during a motor vehicle accident may feel guilt and shame uh, when others are hurt. Assault survivors may feel guilty because they failed to prevent the assault, whether that's reasonable or not. And the latest DSM manual includes guilt and shame as symptoms of PTSD for the first time. So more than 80% of trauma survivors report feeling post-traumatic guilt. And then studies have found that shame has even even stronger connection than guilt. Researchers theorize that Experience of shame following traumatic event may lead you to unhealthy coping strategies such as self-medication, avoidance, and that would be avoidance of people who might be able to help you, self-destructive behaviors, cutting, 
uh, suicide ideation, for instance, which can interfere with your ability to process the emotions, right? And the ability to process the emotions can can intensify the PTSD symptoms and you have a cycle going on. So since the nature of shame is to hide and cover up, the stigma often demotivates people to get help. The emotional families of shame and loneliness kick in and you have a cycle. The presence of shame and guilt make PTSD worse, which increases shame and guilt. So if, if, you, if you're in that, you're more likely to have severe medical health problems, depression, more depression, more substance use, more self-medication, um, guilt and shame are associated with a, like, a greater likelihood of suicide ideation and having more severe impairment in social and occupational function, meaning you just you, you can't get along. And additionally, experience of shame can be related to judgments of weakness or worth. S- survivors can feel stigma. Stigma could prevent you from seeking out appropriate care and relationships. Uh, good news, though, experts suggest that shame and loneliness have an enemy. We can do something that's opposite to shame, something that creates a powerful counter-emotion to the powerful emotion of shame. So let me start off with completely secular. Without a relationship with God, anyone can focus, when, when they're in a shame cycle, they can try to focus on self-care, self-soothing, uh, self-compassion, mindfulness. And when in a shame cycle, though, I'll tell you that that's very difficult, almost impossible to do, because it's not a a prefrontal cortex thing. Uh, shame is the beast of our midbrain, very powerful, and it's driven by heady cocktails of powerful chemicals and hormones such as cortisol. And what cortisol does, it actually shuts down your ability to think reasonably or to objectively choose. So that's, it's a difficult one, right? Uh, you can try distraction, you know, temporarily take uh, your attention off of the strong emotion. But honestly, shame and PTSD focuses your brain powerfully using chemicals on that emotion. But look, uh, sometimes distraction helps. Therapy, of course. Now, good news, good news is for you Christians, you who are children of God with whom, whom the Holy Spirit dwells, whatever that means and wherever that is, you have access to a true and powerful enemy of shame. Uh, the creator of your brain. Uh, so that helps, right? John Calvin speaks of the, the passion and the wheelhouse of the spirit is to make you, and this is important, to make you, right? Empower you. When you can't choose, when you don't have the muscle group, the Holy Spirit inside of you can make you feel just how much God adores you as you are. Um, and all because of what Jesus did for you 2,000 years ago, God has to love you. In one narrow technical sense, don't get too hung up on that. He loves you as much as the Father loves the Son and the Son loves the Father. And you can begin to experience that. And this powerful love, once your brain experiences that in your DACC and your nucleus accumbens and prefrontal cortex, and and by the way, this can only be experienced by the power of the Spirit, not your own trying harder, you're going to feel at that moment less ashamed and less lonely, right? Because of this powerful relationship. But it's the experience of it, not just checking a box that you agree that that's the case. And by the way, it won't be a perfect experience. That's going to be heaven, but it should be noticeable. Uh, Your symptoms should shrink a little bit, and it should be noticeable. So our suggestion is to develop a new habit of asking the Spirit. You can do this. A child could do it. Ask the Spirit to make you feel that powerful love and ask multiple times a day. In the meantime, get help from safe groups, friends, families, and therapists. If you want to know how, go to gospel-app.com and you can uh, check out some of the prayer cards uh, where we, we've written out uh, how to ask it, but you could do it on your own. Um, okay, 
So you can also go to the Forgiving Path, www.forgivingpath.com, another very powerful tool. See, often PTSD comes from events that settle in your brain as injustices or unfairnesses. Um, if there was a powerful way to access justice, an experience of justice, that ah factor, and to begin to forgive without shame, without more shame, right, that could be freeing as well. So check it out uh, and tell your therapist about it, www.forgivingpath.com. So back to the film. If you want to begin to empathize with someone with PTSD, watch the movie. And by the way, if you know someone with PTSD, tell them not to go to that movie. Uh, if you want to get help for PTSD, ask the Spirit to make you feel the love of God right now, ASAP. So, Shane Meter, man, I'm giving this a nine. It's not Joker, but it's really, really, really close. So two of the top movies of, of 2019, riddled with shame and guilt and loneliness, uh, riddled with the stuff. Um, and, and again, one of the lessons is though we don't speak about PTSD as linked with loneliness and shame, it is. And it's time we start saying that and addressing that and using that in our language of symptoms of PTSD. And we Christians should be all over it. We should be helpful to helping, helping people preach the gospel, applying the gospel to real shame and real guilt and real loneliness. We can help people. We can access it ourselves and we can help other people as well. And we, the idea is to access a power more powerful than your brain's shame and loneliness, and it should be noticeable. All right. Well, that's it for, for this rant. Check out the next Shame Meter Gospel Rant when we're going to look at the Best Picture and Best Director winner, Parasite. Great film. And believe me, shame and loneliness is riddled in that movie. Should be fun. We'll see you on the next Gospel Rant. Ted, what do you want to do today? Well, Ashley, I've always got uh, work to do, naps to take, but I have a better idea. How about we invite everyone to listen to the TMUS podcast? I love that idea. Let's do it right now. Hi, everyone. We're Ted and Ashley Slater, and we'd love for you to join us as we talk about teamwork in marriage. We share how grace, commitment, and cooperation can help couples live the everyday moments of marriage together. To listen, go to lifeaudio.com and search for Team Us.